Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going this week? Going well. Uh, it's been a slower week. It's been a lot of uh, winter weather, though. Nashville does not know how to handle snow. Honestly, it amazes me every time that story comes out because I yeah. promise and you. And it happens every year. I promise you, and I promise all listeners who live in Nashville and have never seen anything like it, it really wasn't like this 30 years ago. 30 years ago, 30 years ago, we wouldn't close for anything. And it, it, one flake hits the ground, this place freaks out. I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I remember sitting at the TV, like, just hoping against hope. And tons of times, we'd have to, my parents would have to say, nope, you have to get dressed. And there we'd go out in the snow. So it's just uh, one of those things. And like I said, I mean, I've been here, what, four years now? Four winters, and or five winters now. And it seems like every year, it, we get, you know, a half an inch of snow and the place shuts down. It's crazy. I think something shifted when I feel like I remember there being one time where some kids got stuck at school. It has a lot to do with that. Right. Anyway. All right. Well, things going okay in, in the Wake Forest area, in the Triangle? They are. Um, they are. It, it's cold here, but it's been uh, it's been a good week. I was away on a divisional retreat uh, with the Institutional Advancement Team for a few days, and uh, that was really, really great. It's a fun to work with that team, so good. Nice to be back home, though. Yeah, I had a quick trip this week up to Kentucky on Tuesday with Dr. Rayner. He spoke at the RISC conference, which is their state evangelism conference. Fantastic group of people up at the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Thank you again, you guys, for hosting us. Uh, got to see a couple friends of ours, Kevin Smith and Paul Chitwood. Oh, uh, love Kevin Smith. There. So and love Paul Chitwood too. Don't want to leave him out there. Yes, I I don't. I knew Paul Chitwood a little bit uh, back years ago at Southern Seminary, but not as well as uh, Kevin Smith. But I know they're just doing incredible things there. Yeah, the event got hit a little bit with the weather, uh, but it wasn't too bad. Uh, but they still had a good crowd in, in Bowling Green there, so it was a good event, and we appreciate them again for having us up there. It was a really nice and uh, professionally done event. Kudos to you guys. Fantastic. Well, what's going on this week? Well, WMU, we talked about it a couple weeks ago on the podcast uh, whenever Wanda Lee announced her pending retirement. They have announced a search committee to fill the executive director role. It's going to be headed by Joy Bolton of Kentucky. Uh, as we uh, just mentioned, Joy is the, the WMU leader up in Kentucky. Linda Cooper is the WMU president, named her as the uh, chairperson of the committee. Debbie Ackerman, who's uh, from South Carolina. Debbie is a former national WMU president. She was WMU president while I was there at one point. And then Jill McNichol, who's the president of the Illinois WMU, Kathy Sheldon, president of Pennsylvania South Jersey WMU, and June Tate, president of the Colorado WMU, fill out the committee. So a five-member committee. Remember that the board of the WMU is made up of the presidents of the states. So okay. uh, Joy Bolton is the executive director of the Kentucky WMU. She's overseeing the committee. And then, you know, Debbie Ackerman been named to it as well as a couple other uh, state presidents. So a uh, good committee, uh, people that I recognize names of. So uh, a couple of these, especially Joy. Joy is a kind of a mainstay in the WMU world. So no surprise to see her selected as the chairperson of the committee. Well, that's going to be very interesting. Uh, do you have any speculation as to how long that process will take? It looks like they're taking recommendations and resumes uh, until May 1. Yeah, they're taking it through May 1. Uh, so I would guess that uh, once that's in, they would probably start to meet and narrow things down. I, it will probably be end of the year before they're 
is any serious uh, announcements or you know movement in this. I would think. I mean, that's just me speculating, obviously. Right, uh, right. I think their goal probably is to have a new executive director installed by January board meeting of 2017, which I think the timeline with this, you know, ending May 1st sure, and everything this summer, I think that's that's probably their timeline as well. Their goal is to have somebody in place by uh, January of 17. But there may be a candidate that stands out head and shoulders above the rest, they may be able to make an announcement in June at the WMU annual meeting. Yep. We'll just see. Well, very interesting. All right. So moving on uh, to a piece of news that really is is in both of our worlds. Yeah. We don't have too many of those news that hits both of us here. So Lifeway announced that it's closing three of its stores at Southern Baptist Seminary campuses. It's closing the stores at Southwestern in Fort Worth, Texas, at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, and at Southeastern in Wake Forest. I believe also the the one at Golden Gate closed last year. Yes, once they sold in the preparation the, for the campus. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So uh, for the campus to move. So um, New Orleans and uh, Southern Seminary have uh, are, are con- going to continue to operate but it just, it really was, as they said, it was a change in the buying patterns. The campus stores were created years ago because you have these seminary students coming and this is the place to go to get their books. I mean, this is just like when I was in college and yeah. it's time to get your textbooks. You, you don't go anywhere except to the, the campus, campus bookstore. Book exactly. that's, that's the only place to go to get your textbooks. Yeah, but that was when you were in college 20 years ago. Things have changed since then. Thank you for mentioning that it was 20 years ago, Jonathan. You're welcome. <laughs> and it was actually more than 20 years ago when See, I, I was generous. Went away to college. Yes. Yeah, you, you complained, but I was being um, <laughs> generous. But, but here's but, the thing. The, the, yeah. the stores on the seminary campuses obviously were there long ago. I mean, I, right. I think I saw something this week that the one at Southwestern has been there something like 86 years or something. Yeah. Uh, there are other stores in those markets now that right. serve a broader group than just the seminary and the seminary stores the customer base of the seminary stores has dwindled so right. it's uh, you know, just it's different a, yeah it's just different i mean it, it, the store that is at southeastern while it's certainly convenient there's also a store in north raleigh just right down capitol boulevard that's much larger so and has a, a much larger customer base so it's certainly one of these things that you know i i liked being able to go over there but you hear this news and you can track the changes, all these different options for getting textbooks and resources. Uh, that's not a bad thing. It's a changing market. So uh, just new options and uh, we ha- have to make a change with it. Yeah, so I saw a few people, you know, just kind of sky is falling, you know, oh no, Lifeway retail, brick and mortar. Yeah, brick and mortar is the challenge, but at the same time, Lifeway retail is in better shape now than it has been the past few years. And is on the up and uh, under the leadership of Kasi Pacheris, who's our new vice president of Lifeway Christian Stores. He has done a phenomenal job, and the stores are are really surging now. And uh, we're really excited about the future of brick and mortar retail for Lifeway. So, uh, sky's not falling, no panic. And, and at the same time, the seminaries things have changed on seminaries. You need space, and we were taking up a big footprint in a lot of the seminaries. So it's kind of a win-win. You get a little bit of space to do something else with on the campus that may be needed. Lifeway, we have other stores in the area that can service these customers as well. So uh, it's it's kind of a win-win for both parties there. And uh, unfortunately, there are some closures. But at the same time, we move forward. Yep. 
So uh, those closures will happen. And you just talked about how many years. Uh, Southwestern actually since 1930. Southeastern, yeah, so 86 years. Yeah. Right. Southeastern since 1951. Uh, Midwestern since 1958. And so uh, Southwestern will close February 29th. It will close at Southeastern April 30th and Midwestern May 31st. So I have until April 30th to go stock up. The last thing I bought was just a month ago and when I bought my first adult coloring book. Those do very well, actually. From what I've heard. I, they were huge hits. It was recommended to me, and I decided to go get one. And uh, the last snow day, pulled it out for the first time, and I actually enjoyed it. It's a way to relax. Yes. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, NAM trustees met last week as well. The, the NAM trustee meeting was going on at the same time as the Lifeway trustee meeting. A couple of nuggets coming out of that. The finances showed that they were 3.82% above expenses, despite the revenue being down slightly compared to the same quarter in the previous year. Another news item of note was the first anniversary of the birth of Storyline Fellowship in Denver, pastored by Ben Mandrell, a good friend of the pod, Ben was at Inglewood Baptist Church over in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, right there near the campus of Union University. They've been there a year now. The church is now running, Amy, get this, 500 in that's Denver, crazy. Colorado. 500. That's crazy. In one year. That, that's incredible. I would really love to go and uh, just be there and see, uh, visit a worship service and just see what um, what they're doing there. He came and spoke in chapel here. Oh, maybe last, I can't remember if he came in the fall or if he came last spring. Uh, and he told the story that, uh, the reason he went to plant the church in Denver was that every year they had a, an evangelism night, maybe at their vacation Bible school or something. And the, the kids were supposed to bring a friend. And, um, if they didn't have, uh, a friend, then I think it was to participate in something. If they didn't have a, like a person that, that they knew an unchurched person that they knew, then they needed to bring cans and his kids every year had to bring cans Wow! because they didn't know, um, they, because they weren't getting time with, with unchurched people, um, because of just the, the setting that they were in and that that convicted him so much. And that really convicted me um, and actually convicted me to look at sort of our family and, and some of the things, the, the places we were uh, spending our time and, uh, and, and thinking through how our children are able to, to connect. And so he wanted to, go reach, wanted to go reach people. It was a very convicting thing. Yeah, and he partnered with First Orlando, and they sent about a dozen families out there to help launch Storyline. And for it to be running 500 in just a year, that's that's phenomenal that's in, great. in an unchurched area. But the interview we're going to have later on with Vance Pittman here in the in the podcast, he talks about the fact that whenever you're out there, all the people that you know are unchurched. So, yeah. you know, he, he talks about how it's messy, but at the same time, you know, Christianity is messy in some of these areas. But at the same time, the mission fields are right there. This seems just like another example of what you're going to hear from Vance Pittman later in the episode. You're seeing it with Ben Mandrell here in Denver. All right. So. Amy, it was kind of a slow news week this week, but uh, a couple of big things happened more not in the Southern Baptist world, but just in the general culture world that impacted Southern Baptist. One was a, a, an ad by Doritos the other night. Ad itself I thought was pretty hilarious. I laughed. That was one of the funniest ones I've seen. Yeah. Uh, is this but, a super, super Bowl yeah, ad? Yeah, Super Bowl ad. Sorry. Yeah, Super Bowl ad. Sunday night. Uh, pretty bad game. Pretty much all around bad commercials, except for this one by Doritos, which I thought was fantastic. The... N-A-R-A-L just absolutely caused a stir with a, a tweet saying that uh, 
Doritos was humanizing fetuses. And this yeah. got picked up and boom. I mean, that's all I saw for the next three or four hours in the next day or so. And even BP ran a story about it on Monday. Yeah, it, this was really incredible and so shocking. So I went when I saw it, I couldn't. I saw it pretty quickly because someone retweeted it. So I thought, what in the world is that about? And they were using this hashtag called not buying it. And so I went and looked and what they were doing um, was out of their Twitter account. They had already announced they were going to watch the commercials all night from their account and call attention to everything that they saw as um, uh, sexist. Which was pretty much everything. Right. I mean, it was incredible, all the things that they saw. And it, it really blew me away to even think about seeing the world um, through the lens uh, to that extreme. Uh, because I couldn't believe just some of the things that they picked up on. Even, even or, or things they blew that blew out of proportion. Like yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That, it was bizarre to see some yes. of the things that they uh, jumped on and said were sexist that never, never would have occurred to me. So, but this one in particular, it's, it's kind of fell in the middle of it. And so you have this really funny ad where the mom and the dad are getting the sonogram, which for all of us who have kids, I mean, that's one of the greatest days that you have is this time of, you know, seeing your child. Then the dad has Doritos and the, the baby moves. It's just, it was hilarious. Yeah, it was moving and after Doritos. It was amazing. An, an anti-choice tactic of humanizing fetuses is how they, how they worded it. Um, which I was talking to someone this week. What, what was incredible is, uh, let's just even step back. We understand that the issue of sonograms is a, a, a very... Hot button yeah, issue. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a thing. So we, we already know that. That's not a surprise. What's amazing is that they went after this with a uh, a storyline in a commercial that's depicting a family, a couple that is excited about this, that wants this child. I mean, that 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 is happy. It's depicting a family, and they actually go after that. Like even in this moment, you're. I mean, it. We have baby showers. We tell we're having a baby. We. We name the baby. We talk. The baby is kicking. I mean, that's what everyone does in in culture, and it is just the strangest thing for us to be here where they're even going to go after that. So we've moved from sort of the safe, legal, and rare language to then it's about wanted versus unwanted. Now we can't even portray a baby as a baby. Yeah, it's just crazy. Really, really crazy. Um, but a lot of people did get involved in terms of criticizing the tweet, and uh, there were a number of folks in the Southern Baptist world who uh, tweeted back or retweeted and um, were, you know, just kind of stunned. Yeah, it was pretty much the story of the night because, right. the, like I said, the game was terrible, so uh, a lot of people were just kind of paying attention to what was going on with this tweet. So, Although but, we were all happy for Peyton Manning. Yes. Just throw that out. Yes, e- even in Carolina. Yeah, well, I, I mean, there's part of you, everyone around here is pulling for the Carolina Panthers, but also understands that if if uh, Peyton does decide to leave, then this was a big deal yeah. for him. So yep. it's kind of a mixed bag. All right, so last week on last week's podcast, you, you talked about how Iowa kept you up late and it, you were struggling. Yes. Well, not New Hampshire, because yeah, that one was pretty it. much uh, over when it was over. I mean, it, it was it was done. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone was predicting the 
results as far as who would be the winners. Uh, I think on the Republican side, obviously, how it stacked up below that, I think, was a surprise to people. I, I think that the surprise to everyone was how on both sides the wins were so great. They yeah. were so decisive. Um, and it was just kind of one of those odd moments where you step back and say, I, I actually said this in one of my tweets the other night, four years ago, I never, I would have never believed it. Yeah, I don't think anybody could have expected uh, four years ago that, that Hillary Clinton, if she was running, that she would be getting trounced like that in New Hampshire. And then on the other side, that, that Donald Trump, of all people, uh, would be the huge winner in New Hampshire. So uh, not even close. I mean, that was uh, that was a beat down on both sides of the aisle the other night, like you mentioned. So yeah. but, uh, we get a little little respite, I guess, before South Carolina. Uh, yes, so. yeah, get a, get a week, although the debates are, are just continuing to go. I'm actually getting a little debate weary right now, yeah. so kind of have to Well, take as a, the but. Republican field is winnowed, I, I think yeah. the debates may be more interesting. Yeah, get more time, get more time for the substance. But very interesting. And, you know, um, we've talked so much uh, in the news and stuff about how contentious things are among Republicans. But this issue about uh, the superdelegates and their role in the Democratic convention, I think things are going to get pretty contentious on the other side, too, uh, as we see how this stacks up. But we have a really long road ahead and a lot of things can happen. Yeah. So. We're still waiting to see what, you know, what the FBI will decide on the, uh, the Clinton email scandal and where all that may lead. So there's a lot left to go, I think, before yep. we, we get to those conventions. So uh, Very interesting. We're only getting started, I believe. Yep. All right. Well, we mentioned it earlier. This week joining us on the podcast is Vance Pittman. Joining us today on SBC This Week is Vance Pittman. Vance is the senior pastor at Hope Church Las Vegas and the national mobilizer for the North American Mission Board. Vance, thanks for coming on with us. Hey, honored to be here, Jonathan. Thanks a bunch. Last year, you spoke at SEND. It was kind of one of these uh, providential moments. You weren't really scheduled to be on the main platform at the SEND North America Conference last year. All right, had some uh, family issues come up with a sick child of Eric Mason. He had to be admitted to the hospital, so Eric couldn't make it. You filled in, did a great job, one of the, the best talks of the weekend. I really enjoyed that uh, that talk that you gave that day. Talked about the, what all's going on with Hope Church and the number of churches you planted. You guys just planted your 27th church, is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah, just in uh, November launched our 27th. All right, so tell us about just kind of where that came from. I mean, you guys have been planting churches for a while over there at Hope Church. Tell us just kind of the, the vision that you've cast there and, and how you're mobilizing those teams and, and just what areas in the West that you guys are reaching. Sure. When God uh, called us to the Western United States um, 15 years ago, we knew that one church couldn't reach a city or the region by itself. When you think about Las Vegas uh, just by itself, there are 2.2 million people who live here, 92% non-evangelical, 60% non-religious. And so one church could never penetrate that lostness by itself. Uh, and then when you think about the Western United States, 40% of the unchurched population of, of America lives in the West. And America is now the fourth largest lost nation on planet Earth. Only China, India, and Indonesia have more lost people within their borders than the United States. So we knew that when God called us to Vegas, he called us to a city that was lost and to a region of the country that was one of the most lost regions in the world. And again, one church cannot reach that and penetrate that lostness by itself. And so we knew from the very beginning that multiplication had to be what we were about, multiplying the church with a heart for the nations. 
And so from the day we got here, we had a plan to reproduce and multiply. We planted our first church. We were about a year and a half in. And uh, we've since, like you said, planted 27 churches out of our church. We've sent about 400 people out of our fellowship to go with those planters up and down the West Coast. Of the 27, I think 13, 14 of them are in Las Vegas. And the other 12, 13 are up and down the West Coast uh, from San Diego all the way to Vancouver, Canada, Salt Lake City, Denver, Portland, everywhere in between. Now, in the Las Vegas area, just a quick question on that. Those 12 to 15 that you've planted in that area, are those like satellite things that you spin off? I mean, how, what's the uh, what's the makeup of how, how you plant in, a, in the city which in which you're located? No, we have not done uh, the campus thing yet. We actually have one small campus out in Boulder City, which is about 20 minutes outside of Las Vegas, it's a city that came up when they, they developed it to build Hoover Dam. Yeah, it it's down built. there to the south of Vegas, yeah. <clears throat> exactly. So we have one campus out there, but it's it's something we kind of backed into. We were There was only one SBC church in the city, and they were closing their doors, and so they deeded over the property to us. We paid out some back debt, and we launched a small campus out there. Um, but primarily what we've done is just strictly church plants where we raise up indigenous or church planters that are autonomous. We send them out. We train them, we assess them, we coach them. Uh, some of them do a year-long residence with us, and then we let them build relationships with our people. We help them build a support base, and we send them out. We're not opposed to doing some campuses, but we just really have a conviction that the long-term health um, in reaching a city is about multiplying the church and decentralizing it as much as possible. Yeah. And um, so we haven't done a lot of the campus model yet, but probably will do some, but we we really see the goal being multiply the church. And there are two ways you can do that, planting and campusing. And so far, we've had much more success on the camp, on the uh, planting side. Yeah, and, and it seems like you've created a DNA in the church where you're intentionally raising up leaders to send them out. I mean, it, you are a literal sending yeah. church. 100%. Matter of fact, we just did our membership. Uh, we do a big membership dinner five, six times a year. We had close to 200 people there last night, and I told them the same thing I tell every group that comes through. We tell them, if you if you join Hope, we're going to do everything we can to talk you into leaving, um, because the, the real measure of success in our fellowship is not how many people we seat, but how many people we can send out of our church uh, to be engaged in what God's doing, because we really think the goal is the expansion of the kingdom. The goal is not the local church. The local church is a temporary tool established by Jesus for the expansion of the kingdom in cities and nations. And when you see it that way, then the church becomes a place to teach people about the king, disciple them in kingdom living, and then send them out for the expansion of the kingdom in cities and nations around the world. Yeah, and you've had a great relationship with Nam through all of your planning. And then uh, when Kevin came on a few years ago, I know that that relationship kind of really took root. And you've done a lot more with those guys. Tell us what your role about uh, as national mobilizer is all about. Sure. Uh, yeah, I've had a relationship with the board for 15 years. I was an appointed missionary of Nam out of First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Georgia, when we came to Las Vegas 15 years ago through an old strategy called Strategic Focus Cities. Um and have, have remained in a relationship with the board throughout the whole 15 years in Las Vegas. But obviously it did go to another level when Kevin came on board. And um, I've been working with Kevin very closely since uh, he came to the North American Mission Board and brought just an incredible uh, vision and passion for church planting to make the North American Mission Board the best church planting um, focused agency, you know, in the world. And so it, it just brought me great excitement and uh, breathe life into church planning in, in Southern Baptist um, 
in Southern Baptist world. And so started working with him real closely, did a lot of stuff, um, not, not directly related, but just indirectly related. And then about a year or so ago, Kevin approached me about taking a, a, on a more official capacity with the board, because um, one of the things that's important in the world of church planting, if you're going to be working in and around church planters, it's kind of like the Marine Corps. There, there's just an aura of respect that planters have for other planters. Yeah. And, and historically, the North American Mission Board has not had a lot of people that really have been in the planting game. They yeah. know a lot about well, planting. We hadn't had a real a big about. focus about planting. We haven't. We ha- it's, it's been a minor focus of the North American Mission Board. But now it being the major focus, I was thrilled to have the opportunity to leverage the, the, the favor of the Lord and the platform that God had given me in the Western United States and church planting and bring that to mobilizing people all over the country to engage. And that's really what my role is is to stir up the dust, to get churches and pastors, um, <clears throat> largely they're located all over the Bible Belt, but to get them engaged and on board in multiplying the church in some of these major sin cities, the pioneer areas, you know, between the New England states, the West, um, and everywhere in between. And one of the strategies that you guys are using, I know, in partnership with IMB, is the SIN conference. Had the big national conference this past year in Nashville, and, and I just announced that in 2017, you guys are going to go to three regional conferences kind of across the nation uh, and, and bring people together for the specific purpose of having that catalytic event to empower and you know excite pastors to send and to plant across the nation. Yeah, totally. And I think it's very appropriate that the single largest gathering of the Southern Baptist Convention last year was a conference focused on the mission. Who would have ever dreamed five years ago the Southern Baptists would gather to the tune of 13,000 people in one conference to focus on taking the mission locally and globally. And it's very fitting because that's really what unites us as Southern Baptists. What brings us together is the mission. That's, that's why we choose to cooperate together within our denomination. There's a theological framework, obviously, that unites us. But what we've really come together around is the mission of Jesus Christ locally and globally. And so I'm super excited about what, what's happened with the SIN conference. And then the regional conferences this year are going to allow for more people to be able to come. Many of them that didn't have access to getting to Nashville and some of the different parts of the country, particularly the one out here that's going to be in Long Beach on the West. A lot of guys in the West don't have the resources to be able to get to a place like Nashville for a conference like that. So to be able to bring that to them in these regional conferences is going to be, I think, really a strong statement for Southern Baptists to really gather and rally around the mission. Well, talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be a Southern Baptist out West. I mean, I, I know a handful of pastors out there, and, and it's it's different, obviously. I mean, we, we talk about the Bible Belt and everything, and even when we look at state convention information and just the, the makeup and the sizes and everything, it's a lot different for those states out West. Tell, tell us just kind of the, the differences you see and maybe even some of the similarities that we may not realize between you know being in a Southern Baptist church here where I am in Nashville or where Amy is in North Carolina and, and you out there in Las Vegas. Sure. Obviously, um, being in the West, uh, the people don't know Southern Baptist from a Martian. I mean, they, it doesn't, you know, it's not about uh, name, brand or affinity because out here they just don't know much at all. Because you heard me say in Las Vegas, 60 percent of the people here. Yeah. Are the, they're nuns. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not anything. They're not any religion, any stripe, any faith. And so the, the name in and of itself doesn't mean much. What, what's been interesting about um, the culture of the West to me is, is that I've learned the Western United States is really the last pre-Christian culture 
left in, in the United States. Uh, in the Northeast, another 40 percent of the unchurched population lives in the Northeast. But mm-hmm. the Northeast is largely a post-Christian yeah, a post-Christian, culture. Yeah, they've, they've And the Bible it. Belt is rapidly becoming yeah. a post-Christian culture. But what you have in the West, man, you have got a pre-Christian audience. They have never—it's not that they don't have access to the gospel, but by and large, they've never been exposed to the gospel. When I moved to Las Vegas, my neighbor <laughs> two doors down was a college graduate. We invited her over to our home for a gathering on Easter our first Easter here, just a little thing we were doing at our house. And uh, she said, she asked me this question. She said, why, why Easter? What does that have to do with Christianity? She had no clue that Easter had any connection to faith or specifically to Christianity. Wow. And that's a college graduate. And that's, that's most people in the United, in, in the Western United States. They just have no clue about Christianity, about the gospel. And so what it means, it means a couple of things. Number one, there's an openness to the gospel in the West, like nowhere I've ever seen before. Um, unless you get overseas, nowhere I've ever seen in the United States. People aren't opposed. They're not skeptical. They're not hard. They just never heard. And so you really have the opportunity to share the gospel. Number two, when the gospel takes root in this culture, it's very messy. Um, you know, when you read the New Testament, you read a book like First Corinthians, that's the gospel penetrating a pre-Christian culture. It's a We've kind of sanitized it with our Baptist language. But when you read First Corinthians with a pure set of eyes there's a lot of messy stuff yeah. happening in first Corinthians. it's well, funny you mentioned that uh, i had dinner last night with jimmy scroggins uh, a mutual friend of ours i'm sure you know jimmy yep uh, Jimmy's a great guy and down in west palm and he said the exact same thing about the people they're reaching down in west yeah. palm he's like these it's people messy. they don't know what christianity is a lot of them uh yeah it's be- very messy and, yeah and the, he said that he gave the exact same he said my church is basically first corinthians that, that's exactly what mine is as well. And it's it's um, so there's a messiness about that. But but here's what I love about it. It's an innocent messiness, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, whereas in the Bible Belt, when I pastored there, a lot of the same stuff's going on, but everybody hides it because they know it's not right. But here they don't know. And so they don't know that it's not appropriate on Sunday to walk out and go, Pastor, that was one hell of a sermon you gave today, because they, they nobody's told them that's not an appropriate way to say thanks, Pastor. <laughs> Um, they don't know, you know, that you're not supposed to live together before you get married. That's just the assumption. We, we just did a two week series last fall called the talk because we had six premarital counseling couples in a row that were all living together. They'd come to Christ they're living together, had no clue until we told them that's not the right way to do that, that you're not supposed to do that. And so there, there's a messiness about it, but it's very much like Peter in the gospels. One minute he's saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And the next minute, he's cussing out a slave girl around a campfire, denying he ever knew who Jesus was. So there's a messiness to the newness of the gospel. But here's the other thing about it. It's just pure. It's it's so authentic. It's so real. And here's what I mean by that. There's no culture of Christianity. Yeah, there's no on Sunday. No. On Sunday in our church, this Sunday, we had close to 3000 people. All 3000 of them were there because they wanted to be. They either genuinely know Jesus or they're genuinely asking the question, is Jesus what I need? So from the front to the back, everybody's engaged, everybody's worshiping, everybody's listening, everybody's taking it in. Um, and there's a freshness about that that's really intoxicating. Well, Vance, uh, I appreciate you coming on today. If people are interested in maybe getting involved with what you've got going on, either with SEND conferences or with the SEND cities or just anything else with the uh, church planning in general, give us some uh, some places that they can find out more information about that. Absolutely. Um, you can uh, just shoot me an email. We'd be happy to, to get in touch with you. My email address is just vance at hopechurchonline.com. 
Uh, so you can just email me there or uh, at Vance Pittman is what I am on social media, Twitter, Instagram. You can hit me up that way. That's Pittman um, with one T. On, yep, Pittman with one T. That's right. And then um, on the uh, on the North American uh, Mission Board website, there's there's a place you can go and, and look up the CTV, Catch the Vision Tours. Uh, we're hosting tours in all 32 Sin Cities. We'd love to have pastors come and be a part of those tours. Um, and would love to connect with them in some of these major cities. I got, I got one coming up in Las Vegas, in Salt Lake City, um, and in San Diego real soon. So uh, all kinds of tours. You can go on the North American, uh, North American Mission Board website and go to the CTV Tours and check that out as well. So we'd love to connect with them in any way we can. Yeah, and start making plans now for 2017 to catch one of those SEND conferences in your area. Absolutely. All right, well, Vance, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it, man. God bless, Jonathan. Have a great day. All right, Jonathan, thanks for that. Um, Really great to have uh, Vance Pittman on here, so we appreciate him stopping by. Has Vance done the uh, chapel services at Southeastern yet? Have y'all had him out there for chapel? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. It's been a little while, but but I I feel like I remember that. Okay. As I mentioned in the thing, the the first time I heard Vance was at Sin North America this past year, and I really enjoyed that. So uh, if you have a chance to to see Vance at one of the Send events next year the three events that they're having across the country uh, be sure to catch those uh, we mentioned all that all the information on those send dates and the send events next year are at spcthisweek.com that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in spc history amy blow our minds man this one th- this is kind of nuts so i decided that i'd been doing a lot of things that went way back and i wanted to just sort of mix it up and do something that was a little more recent and i found something that i do not remember Um, but we're going to go back 12 years to 2004. And, uh, this was, um, a a case that the ERLC, uh, filed a a friend of the court brief an amicus brief, um, in it, the case was, uh, Boy Scouts of America versus Wyman. And, uh, so here basically was the case, the, uh, Connecticut state, Employees campaign for charitable giving. Uh, this is, I, I guess, Wyman was the kind of standing for them. So I'm not sure what that that name was for, but this is this is what was happening. The Connecticut State Employees Campaign for Charitable Giving is this opportunity once a year that state employees in Connecticut can contribute to nonprofits through their workplace. So they get an opportunity to make a single gift anywhere. Um, and they have a list of over like seven or almost 700 charities where people can pick. Well, at one point, um, the state of Connecticut excluded the Boy Scouts of America from this list. They would not allow their state employees to uh, to give because they were doing it on the grounds that the Boy Scouts were a discriminatory organization. Why were they discriminatory? Because of their position on homosexuality and um leaders wow and now 12 years later yeah um it's incredible so the boy scouts went to court arguing that they had the right to free speech and and association um and they wanted to get put back in the campaign because that was they they had that uh when it came to membership and leadership that wasn't permitted and a federal judge ruled against them and uh, granted a motion for summary judgment. So 
the Boy Scouts keep getting ruled against, ruled against. So they were asking the Supreme Court to accept the case, and the ERLC steps in and does a friend of the court brief along with others who uh, to, to basically say we have to have this freedom of speech um, to, you know, because we our hiring policies can't cause us to not uh, have any participation in this. Um, and the brief said any outside interference with its membership alters the group's message. Associational rights are not second class protections under free speech doctrine. Um, expressive association rights are not diminished, but are in fact more important when a group's viewpoint is unpopular with the government as the Boy Scouts is with the state of Connecticut. Um, but a lot of states didn't have religious exemptions in their anti-discrimination law. So that's, you know, kind of what, what they were dealing with. And uh, so it was the ERLC, the Beckett Fund, uh, Center for Public Justice, and Union of Orthodox Jewish Congregations of America that were trying for this. Now, in March of that year, the Supreme Court of the United States uh, would not. They announced they were not going to hear the case. So that stood. Um, now, we all know what began to happen, you know, eight, nine years later, the Boy Scouts of America actually decided to make that shift. And now uh, we're in a really different place in our relationship with that organization. About the same issue. Yeah, about the exact same issue. So I was just, I was just really fascinated to see that um, really in our adult life, you know, 12, just 12 years ago, uh, this week in SBC history, this comes out. Uh, that that that's where so it just shows what uh, it just shows how things change all right well that's going to bring us to our resources of the week your resource of the week amy is oh mine's something that i just found out about uh this week and i'm very excited it is something from a, a very special email series that came out years ago. Are you familiar with uh, Chip Stam, who was a worship professor at Southern Seminary? I know the name. Okay. Uh, Chip Stam was... I uh, saw your tweets about this the other night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was a worship professor at Southern Seminary. He came when we had been there, I think maybe just a year, and uh, really just had this incredible demeanor about him and a uh, Really, uh, he would lead worship in chapel. He had this song, Meekness and Majesty, that he introduced us to, and I can still hear it in my head, hear him singing that. Um, Just a very, very unique individual. One of the things that he would do is he had this email blast called the Worship Quote of the Week, and he would send it out to anybody who signed up for it and to friends and and to students. Um, Keith was in his class, uh, the worshiping church, I think it was called, and would, he started getting the worship quote of the week. So he, uh, he died a few years ago uh, from cancer, and uh, it was kind of a tough road, and uh, people were praying for him for years. And so it's just a huge, huge loss. Uh, but it looks like the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship has curated over 300 quotations. They pulled over 300 quotes from that worship quote of the week and have put them into a book. And Eric Schumacher tweeted it this week. It was the first I knew of it. I got so excited. I cannot wait to get my copy. All right. That sounds uh, like a neat thing. I have to check that out. Uh, is Is it available, I guess, at just Amazon? Yeah, it's Amazon. I think uh, Westminster, maybe. You can get it on Kindle uh, okay. from Amazon, which is probably what I'm going to do this weekend. Uh, I think to get the paperback, you may have to go to Westminster. So. All right. 
well, check that out online. Uh, my resource of the week is also a book from Jason Dusing. Jason is the provost up at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, and his new book, The Seven Summits in Church History, uh, talks about church history. Uh, but uh, biographical summaries include Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Hubmeyer, Edwards, Carey, and Henry. Uh, he's talking about these seven figures and their role in church history. So a really neat book, a new book from Rainer Publishing. So check that book out from Rainer Publishing, uh, Seven Summits in Church History. we got the link at the blog. And as always, all the resources of the week we list are at the blog. Uh, go back and look at each individual episode, and you can find those. And uh, we've, we've had some really neat things on here. Hopefully people are checking those out. Uh, I've even bought a couple that you have suggested. The book by Sally Lloyd-Jones you recommended a couple weeks ago, I, I bought that, I think, during the, the show. Uh, so you were talking about it, and I, I snatched that up, and I got that in. That is fantastic. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Go back and look at the old episodes, and you can check out those resources of the week. All right, Amy, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, what you got going on at Southeastern this coming week? Uh, right now, I think we're all holding our breath to see if we get any winter weather tomorrow. Um, and then next week, next week's going to be a little low-key. We've got some events coming up toward the end of the month, so... Yeah, and then the next week you're you're here in Nashville for executive committee. Correct. That's going Correct. on. Uh, so that'll be exciting. Everybody descending on Nashville next weekend. Hopefully, a little bit better weather than last year. Whenever we had the the ice and the snow, and a lot of people couldn't make it to the executive committee meeting because of the the rough weather here in Nashville. So we'll see what that's like next week. I'm headed to Orlando this coming week with Dr. Rayner. Uh, he's speaking at an event down there, so uh, that should be fun. Don't think I'm going to get to squeeze in Disney this time, though, Amy. Mm, too bad. Too bad. I I'm loved really the day, bummed about that. I, I loved that day that you tweeted and you were at Disney by yourself that day. Yes. And uh, we were all tracking your adventures on social media. Yes. My wife, not so happy about that. Um, she did not get to go, obviously. But uh, I had a great time, though. So <laughs> I can't even imagine what it's like to walk around Disney with no... You just kind of go wherever lot, you want to go. Well, yeah, it, it is. It's, uh, it's a lot quicker. Uh, I'm but sure. But at the same time you realize how little there is to do at Disney without the character stuff. Cause that, that's kind of the big draw at Disney with your kids and everything is the characters. And whenever you don't really care about seeing the characters or seeing those kind of things, there's really, you know, it, it becomes a lot less to do at Disney. So yeah, I was a little I, surprised I, by I, that. I still think it's pretty great though. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, don't get yes. me wrong. I just wish yes. I'd have been at Epcot instead. So, that's my favorite, and I get teased mercilessly the for it. The nation's part in the back is the best part of the... I love it. Best yep. restaurants. It's lots of fun. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So, yep. uh, All right. Well, anyway, that's going to do it for us this week on SBC This Week. We'll see you next week. See you next week.